You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Today we are here with longtime Indianapolis legend Jim Shella. He has uh, been uh, forced me to be on the other side of the microphone many times, and so now this is my chance for revenge all those off the record conversations, Jim. They're all good to go now. <laughs> this uh, is it. this is on the record, is it? Oh, kind of. Depends on if anyone's listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jim has been a, a longtime friend. I've been interviewed by him many times, and I think if you uh, talk to a lot of the people who do public relations, especially in the political realm and government, uh, no one gives up an opportunity to have a conversation with Jim on or off the record. Uh, and we're very delighted to have you today. Thank it's, you, sir. It's great to be here. Uh, Jim is not from here originally. He's from Minnesota. Um, how did you matriculate over here to Channel 8 for the last 34 years? Jim retired a couple of years ago, but uh, spent all of his career in Indianapolis. Is that correct? No. no, or, or no. At Channel 8? Uh, well, I, I, since you asked how I got here, I'll, I'll take you from the beginning. I went to St. Cloud State University in, in Minnesota. We are currently the uh, number one ranked hockey team in the country. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm uh, happy to tell you that my first broadcasting experience was doing the hockey games on the college radio station. Really? Yeah. Okay, so let me stop you right there real quick. What were you doing on February 22nd, Washington's birthday, 1980? <sighs> Still was, in college? No, no, Al? no, no. I was at my second job in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was the night that the U.S. beat the Soviets 4-3, to three, Lake you know, Placid. You know what? I hadn't – thank you for – And I know me. you're a hockey net. That's why I asked. Yeah, I, I can tell you. I, actually, I hadn't – I moved to Grand Rapids later that year. You've, you've helped my memory here. I was sitting in a car in the parking lot of a TV station in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where I lived, and uh, listening to the, to the game on the radio. Couldn't believe. I mean, uh, we were hockey fans. I was actually at the Ellen because, as I ice recall, is, I mean, I got I, I got a pretty good memory. I think that the broadcast was delayed, and I was listening to it live uh, on a radio station out of the Twin Cities. I yeah, the believe. TV the TV broadcast on ABC was delayed, and um, I was at the Ellenberger Ice Rink. It's a Friday night. And uh, we skated and then, you know, they had a little black and white TV, you know, about the size of a toaster back then. And we all sat and watched it. And, and you know, we were hockey fans. The racers had come and were relatively popular. Uh, and it was and because we were ice skating, we were all a, but I wasn't necessarily a huge hockey fan. But you as a huge hockey fan, what did <laughs> well, you think? Well, oh, it was tremendous. Now, and the coach of that team was Herb Brooks, as right. everybody knows. Well, it, what you may not know is that Herb Brooks after that point uh, coached in the NHL and then became the coach at St. Cloud State University. Uh, oh, which, I didn't know that. Because he the, didn't do all that well in the NHL, as I recall. Right. And, um, but he decided that he wanted to be uh, a hockey evangelist of sorts. And St. Cloud State was a Division One pro. I, I'm sorry, a Division Three program. He went there and made it a Division One program. 
And the home ice arena in St. Cloud is now named the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Did he coach? Did he coach Minnesota before? Was he the Minnesota University of Minnesota coach, yes. not the North Stars, yes. but the University of Minnesota coach when he became Olympic coach? Is that right? I believe that's right. I believe uh, that's right. So go back to how you came to it. I couldn't resist. <laughs> so, no, that's fine. So I graduated from St. Cloud State University. Uh, while I was there, I took an internship at a at a TV station in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, nice weather. Um, Rochester's a lovely town. It's, I mean, they get winter, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, it's uh, the the skyways that are now familiar in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, they've existed in Rochester for a long time, and they also have subways. They have uh, uh, that that you can w- walking tunnels through oh. downtown because um, it's that yeah rough. Well, yeah, and and they've got the Mayo Clinic there, and so they've uh, oh, they've got okay. a lot that's of right. a right. lot of folks who are trying to get around downtown, um, who may not be from there. Um, so anyway, I, I during my internship in Rochester, uh, I made some contacts that uh, helped me get a job in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, at uh, what was then WMT, the CBS affiliate. Uh, my internship ended on a Friday, and my my started my first job the next Monday uh, and made a deal so I could get off to go back to graduation. Um, <laughs> so, what year would this be? That, that would have been 1976. So you were working in Iowa in 76. Um, yes. Because the Iowa caucuses were big that year. Were you there <laughs> that early? The presidential caucuses. My first day on the job in Cedar Rapids, Iowa was the day before election day in 1976. And the next day on election day, I took part in interviews with both of Iowa's U.S. senators. Uh, really? Yeah, Dick Clark and, and John Culver. Um, and so that that was my first taste of covering politics. And, uh, and was that something, I mean, Jim covered politics in Indiana for for 30 plus years was that something did that give you the taste or did you already have that I, I, I already had it I already had it I, I you know I went to Boys State when I was in high school um, I, I studied I, I took a couple three um, political science courses in college um, I, I was interested but had no idea how fortunate uh, a move it was to go to Iowa because I, I was in Iowa for the 80 caucuses um, Oh, which where Bush upset Reagan and turned that race, flipped it around a little bit till Reagan won in New Hampshire. And, on the, and, on, and on the other side, Jimmy Carter was running for re-election, but Ted Kennedy was out there campaigning. I used to, uh, uh, on my days off, uh, I would freelance for CBS News and, and uh, uh, Phil Jones. Yeah, sure. From from Fairmount, Indiana, was was following Teddy Kennedy, and I spent a couple of days with him. Uh, trailing Teddy Kennedy because they needed somebody who had a car and could find the airport in case they had to get, <laughs> had to get filmed back to New York. <laughs> and so take us through kind of then how do you end up well, here? So, so I spent four years in, in Cedar Rapids and then got a job in Grand Rapids, Michigan um, at um, what was then WOTV. It's now known as Wood TV and had been previously. It's the NBC affiliate. I spent two and a half years there. Um, and, and then came here in December of, uh, 1982. Was it interesting being in Michigan in the early eighties with everything that was happening with the auto industry and gas prices, you know, and yeah. didn't the Republican, wasn't the Republican national convention in Detroit, 1980? Uh, it was, I didn't get there. Um, trying to 
trying but, to piece but that the was the point together. of having it there was the depression yes. of the auto industry yeah. and the economy in, in general. Yeah, um, yeah. They had a they had a governor at the time who was in his a Republican governor George Milliken who was in his fourth term. Um, but yeah, I got the opportunity to cover Gerald Ford a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, Grand Rapids was his hometown. Sure, that's right. He, yeah, he cursed at me one night. Deservedly? Um, um, well, you, probably. You're the most honest person probably. I know in the media. So when I say deservedly, <laughs> half did, the time he, I expect you to go, yeah. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do an interview, and I wasn't taking no for an answer. And so, um, you know, when he finally agreed to do the interview, he had to cuss me out first. And, well, um, it's worth it then. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. <laughs> and it's given me a great story. <laughs> uh, and so. Channel um, 8, you come here, yeah. it's probably at the time the the big station, the preeminent station here in Indianapolis, I would say. And a lot of that has to do with Ahern. Actually, I, I'm biased. We actually, only watch Channel 8 because Ahern was Catholic. It's the same thing I said to Barris. <laughs> My dad says, we have to watch this guy. He's Catholic. Well, actually, uh, Channel 6 was was on top when I got to town. In the er, in the in the early eighties, um, and Channel Eight, Channel Eight, uh, as it turns out, was on the rise. We, when once you get to the get to the nineties, we were pretty dominant there for a while. But uh, but we were we we were a solid number two when I got here. And I'm I, I guess I am biased because that's what that's what we watched. Yeah, and a lot of it was that connection. Um, Indianapolis when you came here as opposed to Indianapolis when you retired. <laughs> you like to chat a bit about the differences. Oh, yeah. Well, I can tell you, when I came here on my job interview, uh, I took a cab from the airport to uh, uh, the Channel 8 studio, which is at 20th and Meridian. And uh, um, it must have been on the way back to the airport. Uh, we went past uh, the construction site for the Hoosier Dome. And would have been, yeah, yeah. Um, so the you know the convention center was a fraction of its size, and and uh, in those days, Saturday night downtown, you could shoot a cannonball down Washington Street and not hit anything. Um, it's it's a lot different now. Did um, you grew up a Vikings fan? I did grow up a Vikings fan. And how long did it take you, like my brother Michael, who started rooting <laughs> for the Vikings in Super Bowl four when they lost to the Chiefs and? Hasn't ever recovered. Uh, how long did it take you to switch your allegiance? It took a few years. I, I can tell you, I'm, I'm happy to tell you, uh, that I've been a, a cold season ticket holder since they came to town. Um, but it, it, you might recall that uh, the Colts weren't very good when, when they first We talked got about here. that with Bill Benner. Yeah. You know, really not until they swung that trade for Dickerson, remember? I was in right. the Army then. It was like at late 80s, they did this blockbuster trade to bring right. one of the True stars, and and I, well, you might appreciate the the day that the the Colts came to town, um, uh, their training facility, their first training facility, was actually a vacant elementary school at the corner of Kessler and Binford, and uh, I that day uh, that was my story. You know, it was was where the, where the Colts going to train? And I walked through the building with Frank Cush when he saw it for the first time. Yeah, because he was the coach. He, he, he was came. the coach, mm -hmm. and he was not happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the part of the deal was that they had to build this complex for them, which is now out by Eagle Creek. Right, and it hadn't been constructed yet, and and literally they took over a vacant. Uh, elementary school with no football field and had a big yard in back. I think it's a housing development now. 
Did you come here to cover politics? Uh, I came here. Or was it just like, this is a bigger city than what I'm in now, so it's a natural progression? It, it, it was a natural progression. Um, I, I took a, a, the job that I accepted was a general assignment reporter and, a, and weekend assignment editor. Um, I think truth be known that uh, the news director at the time, Lee Giles, Lee Giles had yeah. it had it in. I I had covered the state house in in Michigan, um, and I think he hired me knowing that his state house reporter was about uh, to leave town. Um, Bob Rossback was the guy's name, mm-hmm. and his wife had already taken a job in Detroit, and he was uh, going to follow her shortly. So I actually I was a general assignment reporter for about three weeks, and and then I became the state house reporter. Was was Jim Hester there when you were there? Did he Jim Hester later? Jim Hester was there then. Um, for those who don't know, Jim Hester is the um, legendary uh, photographer <laughs> and uh, partner of Jim Shella in the state house. Uh, as big a man as his heart is, he's a terrific, <laughs> terrific guy. Well, and a terrific photographer. Um, I, I mean, he. Uh, I like to tell people we'd sit through these two-hour hearings in the in the General Assembly, and you you can sit through a two-hour hearing, and there'll be one soundbite that really crystallizes everything that happens. And you go back to the station and you look at the tape, and during that one soundbite, Jim would be zooming in. He he paid attention he knew what he knew why he was there and what he was doing and and you know other photographers you'd look over and they're playing solitaire on their phone <laughs> and, and just real quickly and then we'll move on but but ron your photographer is another terrific guy yeah uh, who just we, left is just retired i believe or? he did he did i i was uh it took he i was at wish for three years before uh Jim Hester and I teamed up, and then we were together for 23 years until um, he took a buyout um, when the recession hit, um, and and then I was teamed up with uh, Ron Nakasone for good guy uh, eight years, I believe. I remember one time you I was working at the State Republican Party as comms director, and you and uh, Jim came to interview Murray Clark and I. And you must have been there 40 minutes and 25 seconds of it was the actual interview because so much else was going on and being discussed and laughed about and that sort of thing. And well, he, you know, one of, one of my favorite quotes uh, is, is from um, Woody Allen, who, who once said that 85% of success is just being there. And, and when I would go to, to interview folks involved in politics, I was doing a story that day. I wanted their, their take on the story that day. But I was there mining information as well. I, I mean, it, it, it was about being there. Well, and that would be that would that's something I, I would have to say that candidly is sorely lacking in a lot of uh, media encounters these days. Is is the there are a lot of reporters through no fault of their own, either because of corporate culture or inexperience, because there is so much turnover, especially in TV these days. So it's not a slam on them who you have to spend a lot of time going like, okay, do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand why this is important? And, you know, being interviewed by you, for example, or like someone like Jack Reinhardt on public safety, where you're just like, I don't need, all I need to do is give him his quote. All I need to do is answer his questions. I don't need to do anything else. And for a flack, for someone who does PR, that's helpful. That's really helpful. And when you, Started at the state house after being general assignment. How long did you feel like? Did it take you before you feel like okay, I've got my sea legs? Like 
these guys trust me or a they're willing to talk to me that sort of thing because Orr would have been governor at the time yeah Bob Orr was in his first term so you know I started covering the 1983 session of the General Assembly and Bob Orr ran for re-election in 1984 and I think I, I didn't really feel like uh, I was involved in things until the 84 election I don't think I can tell you that um, you know Figuring out the General Assembly uh, the first time around is uh, a difficult chore. <laughs> <laughs> Just learning the process, not and not only the players, and um, yeah, it uh, it takes you a, a couple of years to get up to speed. You're listening to Leaders and Legends with legendary Channel Eight political reporter Jim Shella. When you start talking to politicians. And you start to kind of try to mine them for information and to to get them to feel comfortable. How hard is it to say, look, I'm not going to burn you unless you burn yourself. Like you can talk to me. And if you want to go off the record, that's fine. Is that something that comes naturally to a lot of politicians or is it something where you're like, okay, this guy's never, he's always going to have his guard up and I can never talk to him except with the camera in my hand or a camera in Jim's hand. Well, I tell you what, it's you, you, it's all about relationships and building relationships, but but not all of my relationships have been good ones. I can tell you that uh, um, early on in my career, um, I had uh, uh, a difficult experience with Dan Burton, and um, that continued for a long, long time. Dan Burton's longtime uh, congressman <laughs> from Indiana controversial i would say a he, march to his own drummer yeah and uh, he, i'm trying to think what maybe it was 1986 he was running for re-election and uh you'll recall there was a, a republican by the name of joe watkins who was uh running uh in, in uh, against andy jacobs okay. and a lot of republicans thought watkins had a chance to to knock off um, andy jacobs but he was short on money and and Burton had a lot of money, and there were Republicans who were saying, well, if only Burton would give some of his money to Watkins, um, maybe we could win two seats. And so I had him on camera, and I was asking him uh, about, you know, why he wouldn't do that. And uh, he kept giving me uh, obtuse answers. And um, we we stopped the interview, and the photographer was, was still shooting video of the two of us talking. Mm-hmm. When, when he gave me the real answer, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, when I get in a, in a fight, I try to beat the hell out of the other guy. And I put that on TV because it wasn't off the record. The camera's rolling. He had a microphone on him. Um, uh, and it was the answer to the question. And but he objected. He objected. He objected. And um, we'd, we, uh, I'd say we had a bad relationship probably till he left Congress. Did, did it? Ever happen that you had an opportunity to the de- do that same thing to someone else? In other words, they keep talking when they think the interview's over, and you look at what they're saying when you get back to the studio, and you're like, "I just can't use that. I want to, but I just can't." Yeah, you know, as I recall, we I, I actually talked to my bosses about you know, we, we had some discussion about whether we should use that or not. And for the reasons I just cited, we, we decided that it was fair game. Um, it's usually pretty easy to figure out, um, whether something should be used or not. Um, (laughs) so the or years become the by years, right? How much different was it 
between, I mean, or was a World War II, I believe he was a bomber pilot? Um, World War II? I think he, I think that, I know he served in World War II, went to Yale, and now you have. Yeah, Josie Orr, his first wife, uh, was a bomber pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, she, she ferried, she ferried bombers. Uh, during she the pil- war. Oh, she did? Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, absolutely. Well, I thought he served in combat in World War II, did he not? Uh, I may he would have been old enough. I mean, yeah. Um, so then the buys come in. Completely right. different party, completely different generation. I don't know. Well, you probably would He's younger have. than me. He's younger than me. And, yeah. and he was, uh, um, I will tell you, fun, one of the more fun stories that, that I did that, you know, he was running against John Mutz, who was lieutenant governor and, and very seasoned and experienced. And, and uh, the Republicans were trying to make something uh, out of by his lack of experience and his youth. And so one day I did some research and I found out that uh, there had been two governors younger than him. Uh, you, you, the Constitution says uh, you need to be 30 years old to serve as governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Brown Ray and... Um, Jonathan Jennings were oh the first governor the first governor he he was Jennings was thirty I believe and I believe James Brown Ray um, was under thirty and lied about his age. Um, <laughs> you trying to get into I, a bar as if I re, as I'm trying to recall mm-hmm. the research, but but I did this story you know to tell everybody first of all how young Bai is, but secondly how he's not the youngest, and uh, those guys um, there's no videotape of of them. Uh, right, and, and so I need I need pictures because I'm doing a TV story, and, and so one of the things you know if you hang out at the state house is that there are there's a portrait of every governor that hangs somewhere, and I went and found the portrait directory, and it turns out both of those portraits were hanging in John Mutz's office. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we went up and asked if we could take a shot of each of them just so happened he wasn't there right then and we went in his office and we're shooting them uh and one of the staff members came in and said yeah those are two of his favorite governors (laughs) (laughs) how do you one thing i I would say this and it's it's a compliment obviously and it's almost somewhat old school um you were always a journalist but i mean you will say this at a certain way you allowed yourself to become friends like well, there were certain people you yeah. covered who you were friendly with. And there were certain people who do what I do. I mean, you were always terrific yeah. to me. We always had tremendous conversations, but you know, whether it's a, a politician, an elected official or their staff, how hard is it to walk in? Am I really candidly, my only uh, experience with you on this was during RIFRA when yeah. I was working for governor Pence, where you had this like pained look on your face that you were getting ready to just <laughs> roast me on camera <laughs> Uh, how hard is it to walk in an office and go, look, I know we're, you know, we like to laugh and joke, but uh, this is, this is a legit story. I can't walk past it. Yeah. I, you know, if I've got a relationship with you or with somebody else, um, it's my hope that we understand each other and you know what I'm doing and you know, I'm not going to take a cheap shot, but I always felt like I could be a little tougher on my friends because, because uh, they understood. And I've, and I've had situations with reporters. Uh, in my years doing this where I've looked at them before it's rolling. Right. For example, there was one particular one with a TV reporter who's, who's current. So I won't name him and said, okay, are we fighting? (laughs) And he looked at me and he goes, we're fighting. I said, that's all I want to know. Yeah. Or sometimes I'll say like, okay, you know, is this, 
is this a watchdog adversarial story or is this more just kind of public information you want to make sure the public will know and, and he'll say no no we're just doing a quick story and you know we're not digging into anything we just think the public should know but sometimes i think it's incumbent upon people who do what i do for a living in media relations to look at the reporter i'm like okay now like are you going to come after me so that i can respond in kind yeah. and most reporters be like it's going to be a tougher interview than most and i'm like that's all i need to know yeah yeah um i i guess I never tried to surprise anybody. I was just telling somebody the other day about one of my all-time favorite stories um, was when Steve Goldsmith was running for governor and uh, talked to him one morning and went back and put the tape in and looked at it, and he had jet black hair with a little gray at the temples. And I needed some archive video for that story, and so I went and found an archive tape, and I put it in, and there he is on the archive tape with salt and pepper gray hair. And... Occurred to me, he's dying his hair. Now, you know, big deal, right? But it just so happened that the week before, Bob Dole, who was running for president, was interviewed by Ken Bodie uh, on PBS. So this would have been 96, 1996. Right. And uh, Bodie asked him if he dyed his hair, and Dole admitted to it. So I got an easy TV story. You got the before, the after, the context. Mm-hmm. But now I, I need to get a reaction from Goldsmith. And I didn't, I didn't ambush him. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, call, I called his, his campaign staff and said, here's the story I'm doing. I got to talk to him. And they found an opportunity where I could talk to him away from other people. And, and I asked the guy if he dyed his hair. And, and he gave what I thought was a, an interesting answer. It was something like, um, it, it's a matter of personal hygiene, and it's personal. <laughs> Which I thought, you know, especially when you look at the video evidence, it's, uh, it tells you something about his character. Of all the of all the elections that you covered, now obviously you'd be like Bill Benner, right? Has to close his God love him. Yesterday he's closing his eyes, going, "Okay, let me think." Which which outcome of the gubernatorial elections that you covered surprised you the most? I have a guess, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, From 84 till 2016. Yeah, you're making me go back. Um, well, that one in 96, it was you know, Steve Goldsmith yeah. against Frank O'Bannon. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, well, Goldsmith and the Republicans were, were very surprised by that outcome. Um, Wish TV had done some polling. And we paid for exit polling that year. It's the only time we ever did, I think. And we got an exit polling report about midday on election day. First of all, our final poll showed O'Bannon ahead. And we got this exit polling information, and you lay that over the top of our polling information, and it matched. And so um, I I went on the air um, after the polls closed at 6 o'clock that night, and I said, Frank O'Bannon's going to win. And uh, Steve, Steve Goldsmith's campaign staff had their hair on fire. They just couldn't believe that, that I, I could be saying something like that. Did they, did they produce polling that showed something different? They didn't. They that, didn't. That's kind of your answer. And, and it turns out I was right. So, so that was kind of a surprising outcome in the big picture. I was not surprised that night. 2004 Daniels beats Kernan. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was a weird year or so of of politics. Kernan, who extraordinarily popular war hero. I don't know anyone who says a bad word about Joe Kernan. Nobody. Uh, and uh, says he's not going to run for governor. Governor O'Bannon dies. He becomes governor, decides to run. And we were asking uh, Jim Kittle and Ed Tracy when we interdu- interviewed them together uh, about that election 
Were you surprised that Daniels won, or was it like it's about damn time the Republicans finally capture the state that they own, for lack of a better term? Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised by that. And I think, you know, in retrospect, the fact that, that Joe was in and then he was out and then he was back in certainly couldn't have helped him. I, I have a very clear memory of going to the, the Wish TV Christmas party uh, one night and uh, getting uh, getting a tip uh, at some point in the evening that Kernan was getting out of the race. And, and so I came home late one night and spent probably an hour on the phone trying to track this down and eventually did. But, uh, um, it was a big surprise when he got out and, and then he almost had to get in and, um, the pressure on him from what I understand at the time was enormous yeah. to run for reelection. He had named Kathy Davis, the first female Lieutenant governor. And so, and he wasn't extraordinarily popular to begin with. And then you have the tragedy of, of governor O'Bannon dying. Yeah. You covered the race in 2004 uh, Mitch Daniels's campaign I think is you almost universally lauded as a particularly brilliant uh, yeah they run. had a good well they had a good campaign manager Osterley's Bill Osterley I, is who they're was, about I, I and thinking, Mitch Daniels I think his is name was good. Mitch I think his name was Mitch <laughs> what was Bill Osterley did a nice job as a functionary I would say <laughs> all I know is he likes to eat the golden ace yeah uh, what was it like covering that campaign? And, and it's because it got it got it terrific it got terrific reviews. Daniels's campaign specifically got terrific reviews contemporaneously. People are like, "Wow, he's doing stuff that hasn't been done." It shows how smart he is, and 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 uh, you know, I think he probably w- worried that he had a particular image, so he he ran counter to that image. Did you ever feel like, okay, this isn't the greatest thing ever? I need to try to bring it back to reality. Well, um, or just the race itself, you just said was tense because oh, it, it was, was close. I, I, I was a panelist at at uh, the last debate uh, between uh, Daniels and Kernan. It took place at IU Southeast down in uh, New Albany. Um, you could cut the tension in there with a knife. It was uh, because of animosity, or just because the race was so close. Both. I mean, it's and it's high stakes for Republicans. I mean, you can't continue to win all these presidential elections and have people scratch yeah. and vote for well, the yeah, D. But it was also a very negative race, and and on a personal level, you know, all these the the the, the Kernan campaign um, accusing Daniels basically of uh, on the IPL board forcing people into poverty because mm-hmm. of what they did with pension plans and whatnot, and uh, taking on the Eli Lilly, which was unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was ugly. It was ugly. Of all the campaigns you covered, which one was like, this dude's going to get killed? There's no chance in hell. Did you ever feel that like where like where one person just simply never had a chance? I have I have one in my well, mind as well. Well, I I mean certainly, uh, um, Jill Long Thompson ran a couple of races where. I mean, she was she was a U.S. Senate candidate in 1986, if you'll recall. Yeah, against Dan Quayle, and then yes. she ran against Mitch Daniels in 2008. Yeah, for governor. Yeah, and in both of those cases, didn't mount much of a campaign, but had won uh, other races. Would had won for Congress races, right? yeah, up up in Northeast Indiana. Um, that that Senate race uh, in '86. Um, 
you remember Louis Mayhern was going to be the Democratic candidate, and Louis had a heart attack and dropped out of the race. And they, uh, they, they had three people uh, seeking to become the Democratic nominee at that point, and they they made the choice in a Saturday morning meeting, and out came Jill Long Thompson, and she she never got on television, as I recall. She raised about a hundred thousand dollars, which is and is at the time I think it was Dan Dan Quayle was the sitting senator, having right. beaten. Birch by in 1980, but he had the highest percentage of votes in the history of Indiana Senate. And then two two years later becomes vice president in large part because uh, he became George Bush's running mate because George Bush was looking for someone who could help him with the gender gap. And they looked at how well Quayle had done against a female opponent to make the argument. His Quayle's pollster was also George Bush's pollster. Is it Teeter? Yeah, Bob Teeter from Detroit, and uh, and you know so so his performance against Jill Long Thompson, which I thought you know throw that out and start over, but but that allowed them to make the argument that made him the running mate, and vice what about president Pearson in ninety two. Lindley Pearson, uh, that was uh, he, he. He was basically a no-show. Um, which, which for a Republican gubernatorial candidate, it's astonishing how ninety-two went. I had, I can tell you, I had the strangest meeting with with uh, Lindley Pearson because, um, you know, I, I was going to say I was kind of rough on him and his campaign, but I think just telling the truth was rough. Um, <laughs> and and, and um, he didn't like the way he was getting treated, and so he called me into his office one day. He was the attorney general, and he wanted to have a, a personal off-the-record meeting um, to try to convince me that uh, he deserved better coverage. And what he kept telling me was that he had the plan to beat Evan Bayh and course i'm saying what's the plan well you'll see i can't tell you now but i i have the plan um did uh <laughs> let's let's move forward a little bit to something that most people don't know and maybe 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 some do but you had the honor of roasting donald trump 1996 Talk- indianapolis press club gridiron dinner um, whenever I, I, this story comes up, I, I have to give credit to my wife. Um, uh, the press club, this it's their was their major fundraiser and they, they had chosen, uh, Mike McDaniel, uh, who was then state GOP chairman and me to be the roast masters. And I came home and was talking to my wife one night and I said, you know, we need to find somebody to roast who will help us sell tickets. Who do you think we should get? And she said, how about Donald Trump, <laughs> who was then uh, opening a, a casino in Gary? And I said, come on. She said, have you tried? Uh, so we tried. And he came and brought Marla Maples with him. Uh, we had to change the venue. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we normally held the event at the, at the Indiana Roof. We had to move it to the convention center. Our normal ticket sales of about 800 went quickly to 1,400. well he was you know riding high i guess is that's one way to put it yeah Uh, was it was it surrealistic to see him become president yes 
well, I mean, I th- I don't think I needed that experience for for, to, for, it, for it to be surrealistic. Um, it's correlation, not yeah, causation. Yeah, and we just to finish with the rose story, though. I just, you know, I I do want to do want to go make sure everybody knows that I did make fun of his hair, um, <laughs> and I called him a dick. I've seen that video <laughs> when they were, when uh, the wonderful John Ketzenberger revived the gridiron dinner on behalf of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute six years ago. Sounds right. Seven years ago. Uh, I was part of the plat not platform committee. What the hell would it be called? Script committee. Script. Yes. Jim and I were, were <laughs> and Jennifer Wagner and some others were and Lisa Dietrich and um, John Ketzenberger, of course, and, a lot, and other people. And, and I would have to say, to be candid, that Jim and I were like little kids sitting next to each other saying, let's say this, let's say this. <laughs> and the beautiful and wonderful Susan Williams uh, kept saying, no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. And Jim and I were like going, but it's a rose. She goes, I don't care. We're not saying that. <laughs> Susan, uh, she actually talked me out of a line uh, the night of the show. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I think yeah. people kind of know what they're getting into, right? Yeah, but there are there's still lines. I always thought it was my job as as in gridiron planning to, to establish for everybody where the line was <laughs> <laughs> no conversation with with jim would be complete obviously without talking a little bit about indiana week in review um, i was lucky enough to appear on that show my timing was always terrible i was never <laughs> ever ever on during a good republican week because, you know, you have Republican weeks and you have Democrat weeks and you kind of have boring weeks and every, there's always strength and weaknesses. I think I was like, oh, for 20. <laughs> and every time I was on, it was uh, it was a difficult time. But but Jim always made you feel welcome. He never surprised you. Uh, how did the show come about? How did you choose the original panelists? Well, um <clears throat> try to figure out how, how far in depth you want me to go with this. But the show was in existence. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. It. Uh, I took the show over in 1991. Uh, I think it had been in existence for three years previously. I started out as a radio show. Uh, eventually, they put it on TV, but basically, it was a radio show with cameras in the room. When when I took it over, I decided it it needed to be a TV show. We needed to have video elements. We needed to 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 do scripted stories. To You're set a TV up reporter, discussions. it makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, and and uh, well, it was a real messy changeover. They they fired the previous host, um, and uh, there were a couple articles in the newspaper where members of the panel swore their allegiance to him and uh, said they wouldn't come on the show and. Uh, um, so I, I, I had to do a lot of recruiting in a short period, short period of time. Um, and I think actually for a Democrat panelist, I asked Bill Morrow to do it first. And, uh, he was on Evan by staff at the time and he actually took it to the governor and, and the staff and they decided that Andalini would be a better choice. Um, and she's still doing the show. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> when I would be on and my mother would watch, she would say, Shut up, Ann's talking. I'm like, I was on the show. She goes, I yeah. know, you need to let her talk more. And I'm like, no, that's yeah. not the issue here. That's not the issue at all. <laughs> well, she's, I mean, for, for whether you like her or don't like her, better yeah. or worse or whatever, Republican or Democrat, I mean, she's a fierce advocate for that 
for the party. No and shoes. that's why you're on the show. Like yep. some people go on the show, some people who've gone on and they've asked me about it. I'm like, look, you got to be all in for your party. That's yep. why you're labeled Republican yeah. on the show. Well, Rex Early had, had been on the show um, for a short period of time before I took over as the Republican. And, and I was still making calls to other people. And he called me up and said, you're going to have me on that show. And I, I said, you going to swear your loyalty to, to the last guy like these other folks have done? And he said, listen, that lo- as Bill Jenner, uh, former congressman, used to say, that loyalty is as deep as a cow pissing on a flat rock. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Rex, well, Rex listen, you're on. Well, <laughs> very few people are more quote worthy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we always had uh, try to have two members of the state house press corps on there. It was Susan Dillman and John Schwannis at the beginning. John's still there. So 20, did, 27 years later. Did were there ever times where it got too heated? Yeah. Yeah. I was on one time. <laughs> I don't know if you're thinking of that, but. Well, I'm, there have there have been times when uh, panel members have left angry. Um Angry at you or just angry at the, you know, it's easy for the R and the D to get. Cause, yeah. Because people who aren't, we're here with Jim Shella, a longtime Channel 8. Well, uh, I tell you, political reporter. It, but before the show, there's a lot of, there's usually a little bit of congeniality. And, you know, they'll say, hey, man, sorry, you're, you're, you know, it's a bad week to be the Republican or a bad week to be the D or that sort of thing. And, and you kind of laugh and joke. And then the show comes on and then you do what you got to do. Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't always last throughout the show. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, you talked about Lindley Pearson's campaign. Rex Early was a state GOP chairman at that point, and uh, we we were beaten up on Pearson and his campaign pretty well uh, on the show one week. And out in the parking lot, we were already talking about other things, and Rex just stopped, and, and he had a, had a clipboard in his hand, and he took it over his head and slammed it on the parking lot and said, you try to defend Lindley Pearson. <laughs> 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 so, you know, you, know, it's a, you know, I don't know who or what people got angry with, but it's a, it's a passionate endeavor. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't want people not to be passionate. That's for sure. But, but I, in the end, everybody's friends. You'd hope so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember going on with, uh, uh, one time I went on with John Zodi and I remember telling somebody, yeah, Zodi is the D on the show this week. And the response I got was be nice to John. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it. John Zodi's one of the best guys ever. I get it. Uh, yeah, a couple other questions, and then we'll we'll finish with the last segment. You are John Zodi. The Democrats have lost four consecutive gubernatorial elections. They're basically wiped out, except for two highly urban uh, congressional seats. Uh, what do you do? How do you fix it? Well, I think I think they need leadership. I they were in a similar circumstance before Evan Bayh showed up, and. Uh, but he's the hero. So is there another hero out there? Is it Pete? Is it the mayor of, of Pete Buttigieg? I didn't, you South know, Bend? I think B- Pete Buttigieg uh, has leadership qualities. He has a bright future. I'm not sure he's going to focus on Indiana. Uh, he's going to. He's already tried to run for Democratic national chairman one time, and he's now going to Iowa. I think. I think maybe his focus is outside uh, the borders of Indiana, um, but. They need somebody like that, and and you know things tend to change. Um, this the next the twenty twenty elections, uh, 
could be, uh, the, the, you know, it, potentially it could be 1974 for the Democrats in Indiana. It it could turn things around, and and you don't know who might emerge. Well, most most of what you hear about from about Holcomb though is is positive. Is even D's. As a matter of fact, I know a prominent Democrat who I won't name just uh, held a fundraiser for him at his house. He's like, look, we love what he's doing. He's great for the yeah. state. That's it's hard to you know. And and you've known Eric for I'm sure decades and. No, and and he, I've and known him for and, a while. He's and a, he was on Indiana Week in Review a lot. Yeah, yeah, and he's a terrific political mind. Probably the most traveled governor before he became governor in the state than yeah. anybody. Uh, it's going to be awfully tough to take him down. It, it seems like it's more like, are the Republicans going to fumble the ball well, at the goal line so that they can run it in for a yard, or the Democrats well, going to find the, that hero? But if you're the Democrats, you know, you're you're hoping that you can do this maybe in a couple of steps. You're probably not going to do it, and you know, not they're not going to turn everything around in 2020. That's for sure. But but they need to they need to make some gains. They need to they need to pick things up so that they can get people involved. Because 20, as I recall, there's no Senate. That's right. So it's all in for governor. If you win that, then you change the narrative. If you lose again, then it's more. Oh God, what are we going to do? And but you go get, up against Young in six, 2022. Well, but they got to make sure that there are not super majorities in the general assembly, and and uh, if they could pick up a congressional seat or two, and and that's that's where you're more likely to develop leaders who can take you forward. Or mayor's offices in the 19 elections. Right. Um, right. One last thing I want to I want to bring up. Uh, because it's 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 a personal experience. It's November election night, November two thousand seven. <laughs> I'm working at Channel Eight on election night with uh, Jim and Susan Williams uh, from the uh, Sports Corp at the time, I believe, and uh, Toby McClamrock, who we all know and love. And that's the night that Greg Ballard beats Bart Peterson. What do you recall of that night other than you and I just looking at each other like, I can't freaking believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, that's that's uh, the biggest yeah. upset in your time. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully expected Hillary Clinton to win. It was a big surprise when she lost. In the, you know, and that's not an Indiana race. But but uh, the the Ballard win over over Peterson really took me off guard. I did. I did not see that coming. Um and uh, even as unpopular, I mean, it got to be pretty rotten for. And, I, and well, as I've said in the other conversation, actually, when we interviewed uh, Greg Ballard, said, "Look, Bart Peterson was a pretty darn good mayor. I mean, yeah. he had a bad summer and fall, but the totality of his eight years is yeah. far more positive than negative." And as I recall, Greg Ballard was like, "Yeah, he was. You know, I get that, but." You know, this happened. Well, but in the meantime, nobody knew who Greg Ballard was. And uh, the, the Marion County Republican Party gave him a desk and a phone and no money and no staff. Um, he didn't. He, I think he got one TV ad on the air, right? I can't remember. I mean, it's but... not even one that repeated. There was one ad that, that aired in 60 minutes. Uh, he got his money's worth. He did. He did. <laughs> well, that, I, mean, I mean, that was your classic, um, it, you know, it, 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 I, I, I called him the accidental mayor. On, you did, on, and on then Wagner night. picked it up on her blog. Jennifer Wagner yeah, did, she right? She created a blog called The Accidental Mayor. But, but you know, the choices in that one were Peterson and not Peterson and not Peterson won. And, you know, it, it was funny, too, because I remember that night uh, I just got finished running the elections for Marion County for the delightful Doris Ann Sadler. And 
It got later after the polls close at six, so it gets to be about seven something. And you and Toby and Susan already done a couple of hits, and you were like, "Hey, you know, we may put you on, we may not. That's fine." And I'm like, "No, I'm hot being the computer and talking to people." And uh, I don't know what time it was seven fifteen, seven thirty. And you came up, and you I was sitting at you probably your desk, and you put your hands on my shoulders and goes, "What's it look like?" And I go, "It's over." And you go, well, Peterson's up a couple thousand votes. You think he's going to hang on? And I go, no. And you go, why not? I go, because I live in Perry 6, which at the time was the largest precinct in the state. 6,000 voters. And I knew all this just from running the elections. And I go, there are no Bart Peterson voters. I go, once Ballard's up, it's over. And there were like parts of Franklin and Decatur, but the old city wards had come in. (laughs) Squeezed my shoulders and go, You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I remember Susan Williams was on my right and Toby was on my left. And I go, look, guys, here's what I'm telling you. The city wards are in. Peterson's only up 2,000. You probably have 30,000 voters yet to come in who would vote in a mayoral election. Vast majority are going to be Republicans. And I said, when Ballard's up one vote, I'd call it on the air. And you go, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, I get that, but he's going to win. Yeah. And about a half hour later... Ballard was ahead and came back. And the look on people's faces when you said, well, we're going with it. And I think you were the first to call it. You I, know, I we, guess I don't recall that. Yeah, we, you, I hope so. Yeah, because like, <laughs> I'm like, this dude's going to win. And then I had to go on the air because everyone, Toby left to go, yeah. do the, you know, to go to the victory thing. And it was one of the most surreal nights yeah. of my life and you and I just looked at each other like Thelma and Louise getting ready to go off the like I can't believe it then the next day I go to Marion County headquarters you're interviewing Greg Ballard at the little desk they gave him right I mean because because and I couldn't believe that I was the only reporter there I mean I came to work the next morning and said Greg Ballard's the story there's what else is there let's go I find believe him they let you in so I walk in. To, well, to, they, again, he had no staff. There was nobody to stop me. Well, this is what this. Is, so, so we'll end this part of the podcast by me thanking you because, in an inadvertent way, you changed my entire life. Because I walk in and go, "How'd Shella get in here?" And they go, "He just walked in with his camera and said he wanted to interview Greg Ballard." I went, "Well, why are you letting him?" And they go, "Well, he just walked in." And I went and said hi to you and said yeah. hi to Jim and said hi to Colonel Ballard, mayor-elect. But it's one, and of, the, I walked, one of the first rules of reporting. It's always always better to beg forgiveness than to ask permission. <laughs> and I walked out going, these guys are so completely unprepared for this victory. I mean, much like Trump, right? I mean, they right. weren't even planning their inauguration stuff. I mean, yep. That's come out in several stories. Yep. And that night I got a call from somebody who said, uh, hey, you want to be press secretary for Ballard? I'm like, well, you need to hire somebody because Shella can't just walk in with a camera and start talking to him. <laughs> And they go, we want you to do it. And then I remember my first call was to you. You wouldn't remember this, but I do. I'm like, all call, all interviews for Ballard go through me. And you go, why? And I go, because I just got hired. Thank you. <laughs> and that probably never would have happened if you hadn't been there that morning well, with the camera. So I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, and no one could have predicted, and I'd say this to my dying day, and comment on this and then we'll close, but he became a phenomenal mayor. And at the beginning... Yeah. There were people who were just frightened that he was going to undo everything and, you know, run, you know, turn the clock back, however you want to say it. Right. And he turned out to be the exact opposite. 
Well, and and yeah, that I mean, the day after election day in two thousand seven, nobody would have predicted that he'd get reelected, and he and he got reelected, and and uh, probably could have been elected a third time if he chose. Post Rifra, he was polling yeah. in the seventies. I know that for a fact. Yeah. I mean, he was enormously popular uh, in the city for his for his public stand on that. Yeah. Uh, we're here with Jim Shella and leaders and legends. Uh, we close as we do with all. Our guests with five questions. It's the same five questions. And so uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. I'm ready. What was your first car, first car you purchased? Purchased? Uh, well, my first car was a Ford Fairlane. Um, which Isn't that a movie? It was... Uh, Andrew Dice Clay? It was, uh, <laughs> it was my grandfather's car that... Uh, he he uh, blacked out and drove it through the back of his garage, and uh, I, <laughs> all I had to do was pay for the repairs, and it became mine. Give it to Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your first concert? I I went to a concert in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, when I was uh, in junior high, uh, and it was a, a, a triple bill. It was um, Three Dog Night. Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, <laughs> and the Beach Boys. Early seventies, yeah, yeah. With Man, the Beach Boys been, are last, you could tell how much the they've 60s. fallen. Might have been the sixties. I think it was still the sixties, sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Mayor Ballard, I think, doesn't he have the? His first concert was in Bloomington when he was IU at IU. Sly and the Family Stone. No, I wouldn't have ever suggested. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I never would have predicted that. If you could recommend a one book to anyone to read, what would you recommend? Oh my goodness! Other than the Bible, um, I thought about just excluding the Bible from answers <laughs> because it's going to be popular. But if that's the answer, it's hard for me to fight that. Um, yeah, if you're going to pick one, that's probably the one. Any particular book or? Um, <sighs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the one. The, I'm not a huge reader. The one book that I've that I've read multiple times would be uh, All the President's Men. That's and, terrific. And I've and I've seen the the movie more times than that, and uh, it never gets old because uh, um, w- one of the things about the story of All the President's Men, uh, Woodward and Bernstein, uh, is that it, there's a lot of just old-fashioned hard work journalism going on you know making lists of names and calling them and crossing them off and knocking on doors and it's just it's uh, a lot of shoe leather and they've um it's 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 weird to be in that garage yeah or see the door at the at the museum if, if they'd only learned if they'd only taped the door the right way they wouldn't have had all these problems <laughs> uh, if you could witness any event in history which would you choose? You could be anywhere with anyone at any point in time. Oh my goodness! Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you, the interesting thing is, um, I've I've been to a lot of events. I've been to inaugurations and and uh, um, you know, been to a State of the Union. I've been to Supreme Court arguments. I've seen a lot of things, and I'm always there um, as kind of an outsider. Um, like working. Yeah. And you have to to watch in detached fashion. And 
and um, I guess I, you know, I, I'm still adjusting to that now that I'm not working. I'm, I, I'm not really big into in into witnessing things except to, to relay it to other people. Okay, so let's let's change let's change the question just because of what you said. If you could have covered any event as a journalist. Um, that I didn't cover. Um, Even if it's, you know, the Peter Zinger trial, you know, in the 18th century, just any event, anything that you could cover as a journalist. Huh. Um, Kennedy assassination, moon landing. Yeah. Um, probably, I think the Kennedy assassination is a, is a good choice. I mean, um, when you're a journalist, what 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 you want to do, and and actually, see, I never thought about big events. I never, I, because when I talk about being a political reporter, but you always thought it was my job to go to the big event and then find out something that you couldn't learn from the stage. You know, talk to talk to people involved. Find I always said that my job is is kind of like you know pulling back the curtain so people can see the wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so it's not really about the event per se. It's about it's about uh, you know knowing how things come about and 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 what the event means and being able to put it in perspective. So so you know with the Kennedy assassination everybody everybody learned everything they they need to know. Um I think um I guess I'm, I'm not good with philosophical questions. It's all right. Last question is, um, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world right now, who would you choose? A couple hours off the record. Talk about anything you want. More philosophical questions. It's, it's, I'm trying to be the wizard here and give you the... <laughs> Yeah, um, like like someone in your profession or a politician that you never covered and would like to, or someone you covered and just had a ball covering him, and it'd be fun to just hang out. Yeah, or you know, your daughter. Well, Kate'd be a good yeah. choice. That's a good choice. Although <laughs> <laughs> I've done that this week, um, <laughs> so Ballard chose Mrs. Ballard, which was an incredibly predictable answer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but I don't. I don't give a lot of thought to that sort of thing. Peyton Manning, um, someone in sports, someone different, someone. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, one of the you can accuse me of being cynical, but I'm I'm not really taken by famous people at this point. I'm not. I uh, I it, it doesn't do a lot for me. I guess I I like to laugh. I probably it, it'd be nice to spend the evening with with a comedian who uh somebody who's just funny you know like a i would the you know robin williams if he was still alive i suppose would be it's not a bad answer not yeah. a bad answer at all thank you everyone for listening to <laughs> leaders and legends we're with jim shella jim thank you so much it's fun to ask you questions for a change <laughs> thank you and uh, we hope maybe in the future you can come back on if you need anything always your friendship is very important to me uh, Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.
www.thebeanpodcast.com. Thank you.